0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. It's the beginning of the final game week of this regular season for the Nittany Lions. Looking to get to 10-2, have Michigan State stumbling their way into Beaver Stadium. We'll talk about that matchup and dive in a little bit more for the details later this week with a reporter who covers the Spartans on a daily basis, We're back on a Monday, as we normally are, to break things down from the preceding matchup, which was another blowout victory for Penn State. 55-10, the final score out at Rutgers on Saturday. Penn State puts up the final 48 points of that contest. Daniel Gallen joined us from Piscataway for a post-game podcast on Saturday evening. Hopefully you caught that one. Uh, Some instant reactions to to another really impressive and dominant uh, victory for Penn State in conference play against an inferior opponent. Uh, As usual, we bring back in Daniel and Mark Brennan. Uh, fresh off their visit to the Garden State for a conversation here on a Monday. A little bit later here on the episode, we'll talk of recruiting. Penn State has a class departure to get to. Uh, Johnny Shakir, a wide receiver, no longer a member of this group. Tyler Calvaruso will break down that, take a look at what comes next, and dive into some other things. We're now about a month away from signing day, but fellas, let's get back to it. Penn State picks up win number nine on the season. It's a 3-0 November thus far, Mark Brennan, and they continue to put teams away and handle their business and matchups where we wondered, could the momentum fade over the course of these games? Instead, it seems to be building over the course of these matchups.
1: Yeah, Tyler, you know, one thing, your alma mater, could you get them to invest in something other than 28K dial-up modem access in the press box? It's, you know, we're in the 2020s here. I mean, come on, Rutgers. What what are you doing? That was ridiculous. But uh, I'm sorry I had to go off on that rant. Uh, but it was very, very frustrating for people trying to cover the game from the press box, and uh, you know it's something they really ought to look at if if you want to be a Big Ten program, act like you have the the uh, the internet access to for people to actually cover you. But you know the thing that jumped out to me in that game, and, and I mentioned this in in my uh, in my wrap up, is you know you have complimentary football. Where you know the off or the defense sets up the offense, or the offense makes a big play and puts the defense in a good position, or the special teams, this was complementary to a whole different level. This was the defense actually scoring touchdowns. This was special teams actually scoring t- touchdowns when the offense was scuffling, and, and and I thought that was a really really good sign because that that you know in the past couple years those kind of games stayed way too tight for Penn State way too long. And in some of them, not necessarily against Rutgers, but they've lost games like that where the offense hasn't played or well early, and to have those two other areas just really step it up and allow for the offense to come along, and I think a lot of it was tied not so much to Sean Clifford, but to that that you know patchwork offensive line, and when it finally got its stuff together, with a, a, an assist from two fantastic young running backs. Then it started rolling. And, and one thing that James Franklin said after the game that really jumped out at me, he called uh, the Allen and Singleton erasers. And that's not erasing the opponent, that's erasing mistakes that the offensive line was making at different times. And that's huge because in recent years, you know, maybe since Journey Brown, they haven't had that player. The offensive line has had to play perfectly. And even then, the backs weren't quite good enough to do what these guys are doing. Now, and you know, I hate to, <laughs> I'm going to invoke the name of Saquon, but Saquon was playing with an even worse line and he was the ultimate eraser. So I don't think these guys are in his league in terms of that. But I think that's an ult- the ultimate compliment from a coach when he's talking about these young players who are making life easier for an offensive line that's really in a tough spot. And that goes back to what I started with the whole aspect of complementary football. You could have it between offense, defense, and special teams, and you could have it between different areas of the offense where one area may be struggling and another area is going to help you pick it up, and that's what happened on on, uh, Saturday.
0: His usage of that term eraser has stood out. He's done it a few times in talking about these running backs. It's usually something that we hear more tagged to a linebacker or a safety because of what they clean up at the back end of the defense. But here we are again, Uh, Daniel, the last 10 games – 50% of the time, a Penn State running back ends up as the freshman offensive player of the week. I guess freshman of the week here in the conference, and this time it's Katron Allen who takes the bow. Uh, You know, his his partner here has a 100-yard kickoff return, oh, by the way, on the day, and averages uh, over six yards per carry. But it's Allen who goes over 100 yards, gets into the end zone, and ultimately comes away with his second conference honor of the season. These guys, again, five, sharing five of them in the last 10
2: weeks. It's pretty impressive. And I think that it shows the, you know, the full capability of those two players that week after week they're recognized and Katron Allen didn't even win freshman of the week for the game that he scored three touchdowns. So, you know, there could be six out of 10. I think that, you know, when you're talking about freshmen making that leap uh, up to college football, a big thing that comes up in conversation uh, a lot is the consistency uh, the ability to you know week in and week out hold up to the rigors of the college game um there's some talk with jaylon cider earlier this month uh with james franklin a little bit more recently that the classic um you know are you worried about them hitting the the freshman wall um question and everyone has said that just kind of no <laughs> uh based on how these guys have prepared and how they've looked early but i think that when you look at these freshman of the week honors it just shows that they've showed up a you know, week after week um sometimes it's sing- like singleton went over 100 yards last week for the first time since the auburn game allen went over 100 yards uh this weekend for the first time since the central michigan game um they- it feels like they've really been playing off of each other um it the hot hand almost doesn't even really feel like it applies because I feel like every week they're both playing pretty well. Um, I think that you, you could also make the case that this weekend we saw some uncharacteristic runs from Katron Allen where he was stopped behind the line a little bit more, um, than, than we'd seen through the first you know nine weeks of the season or 10 weeks of the season. Um, so big testament to those guys. <laughs> I mean, I might say that they've been beyond as advertised coming into this year based on the workload that they've had to take um, and how both of them have been centerpieces. I think Allen has 135 carries. Singleton has 132, depending on how this finale against the bad Michigan state defense. And then a ball game goes, I think both of them are in striking distance of a thousand yards. It might be a little, you might need a cotton bowl type performance uh, to get there, but it, it is really, really impressive to see that from these two players.
0: You could get two freshman running backs over a thousand yards this season. You're right, it is realistic based on the way these guys are playing, the way this offensive line is performing. And we'll see what the opposing matchup looks like beyond this Saturday. But you could do that without taxing either of these guys. I mean, I think they had 20 plus carries. Uh, in, in a sloppy matchup against Central Michigan that day when everyone was fumbling the football over the place. And by the way, Nick Singleton's going to have that log to his memory. And Jay Wan Sider will be reminding him about that this week, the fumble that was lost and set uh, records up in Penn State territory on Saturday. But I mean, th- there's things like that you can point to. But overall, the ability to get these guys to where they're at without asking either of them to be some kind of a bell cow um, is really impressive because you're making sure that both of them are able to kind of ease their way into situations. They don't have to take on every setting as the guy. They can shoulder that load, whether it's a two-minute setting late in the game or whether it's a, it's a guy who's being tasked with trying uh, to, to put the game away. Uh, I, I, just, I just love the ability for both these guys to get that chance. And, and Penn State has kind of said, look, you're the, you're the starter this week. At K-Tron, you'll be up in the third series. Then you get your opportunity. Um, And they were playing pretty late into that Rutgers matchup. We know that there's not a lot of bodies in the running back room. But still, they actually took their lightest load since that Michigan loss. So it's not like they're going down the series and, and all of a sudden you're asking them to carry the ball 18 to 25 times a game. They've really consistently marked Fallen in that 10 uh, to 16 touches, maximizing those opportunities. Now you see Nick Singleton doing it on special teams. And to me, that's the perfect recipe, especially it's one that you can package, bundle up, and go sell on the recruiting trail and say, come play, come play early. We're not going to ask you to do everything, but if you're ready, you'll have those opportunities.
1: Yeah, I think Jay Wan Sider's done an unbelievable job of balancing that because that can't be an easy thing. And I would encourage anybody, if you haven't done it, We have a video as we record this. It's on the front page of our site, very easy to get to, with Sean Clifford talking about both of these freshman running backs. And the one thing he said was that when they're on the sideline, both of those guys are pretty much demanding the ball, and not in a bad way. You know, they are being – it's like, give me the ball. I want the ball. I want to go out there and do things. And I just pulled it up on Otter here, and this really stood out to me from that, where Sean Clifford said – I think that's the kind of thing my two cents uh on, on those two. It's been a while since that since we've had that kind of energy. Whoa. Hmm. I mean, what is that? D- did that jump out to you guys? I mean, it's been a while since we've had that kind of energy. I assume he's talking about from the running backs, but that's like, I mean, you know, I, I had to go back and kind of look at that. And I was thinking, you know, this is a sixth year guy who who got here when Saquon was here and obviously played with Journey Brown when he was doing well before the medical issue. Uh, but for him to say it's been a while since we've had that kind of energy, at first that seemed like a kind of a throw in line. But as I watched that a second time, you know, that's telling me that, that these are the guys who are not just physically able to get it done at a young age, but they're wired the right way mentally. And I yeah. think that comes down to the way they were coached when they were young, and I think that comes down to the way they've been coached since they've got here. And it is not easy. That's why that's why I'm high on J. One Sider this year, because, number one, he convinced those guys to come into a loaded running back room. And now all of a sudden it's not loaded. And in and, and part because he's like, listen, I'm going to play the best backs. And if other people don't like it, that's that. Uh, and, and the fact that it's worked out the way that it has knock on wood, that both of these guys stay healthy. I think the message that sends out to other running backs on a recruiting trail, that if you're going to come in here, they're going to play the best backs and you're going to get coached up. I mean, I just think all of those things just tie in really well with what they've been able to do. And that, that quote from Clifford, (laughs) you know, it's been a while. I mean, that's. That tells you a lot about the last two seasons. That tells me a lot. I don't know if it tells you a lot, like uh, uh, you guys or, or people mm. watching the pod or listening to the pod. I don't know if it. I don't know if it says a lot to them, but it sh- says a hell of a lot to me.
2: Ahead, say,
1: I, I think it's hard to. I was going to say.
2: I think those Clifford comments kind of speak to to the value of of having a a running game that you can lean on and a running game that is, uh, picking up consistent yards and that it just kind of builds up some momentum behind you. Um, and those guys, and you know that those guys are going to break off big runs. Um, it doesn't have to be a fifty-nine yarder every time, like Catron Allen had. But those guys are consistently into the secondary, and I think that it provides something that you can really feed off of, and that the whole team can kind of look at and you know say like, okay, like this is what we're doing, this is how we're doing it. Um, because if you do look at the the past couple of years and um, the things that could create energy. Last year, it was pretty much just Jahan Dotson. Um, I can't really speak for for 2020, but it, there wasn't much to really feed off of uh, for players too. And I think that when you see Katron Allen get into the secondary, run over a safety, get a first down, I think that that's something that that is really contagious. When you see Nick Singleton, you know, running through contact, to do it. You know, what they talk about turning three yards into six yards, you know, seven yards into eleven yards. Uh, I think that that's something that. Um, you know, not necessarily sends a message to the team, but I think it's something that, that guys notice. And I think that you know when you're watching your offense march down the field, I think that as a defense, that gives you, that gives you confidence. Uh, as an offense, you're gaining confidence as that's going on. And I think that's something that's really infectious throughout the roster.
0: You're talking about the production, and and, and also there's a psychological aspect that Mark is touching on when those two things combine. And I think it's worth noting, going back to that 2020 team, they had a guy like that in Pat Fryerman with an alpha-type personality. He was lost early in the season. It was a wrecked kind of season, Sean Clifford. uh, And I think at that point, especially Jahan Dotson still working to really find his self as a leader, a silent leader. Um, but it was he a guy out there on the field who was one of those alpha personalities at that stage of his career? I don't know. I think that's a good question. I think that really developed as Jahan made big plays and and, and really got his groove going in the last you know 20 games of, of his college career. K.J. Hamler certainly had that. Journey Brown started to develop it, but it was such a fleeting glimpse at Journey Brown, and then you go back to a guy like Miles Sanders, Saquon Barkley, um, who who did have that aggressive nature and wanted to be with the ball in their hands in a key moment, and made sure everybody was well aware of that. Um, and, and if you have those emerging personalities on this team, and it sounds like they have that at the running back position, it seems like they have some of that emerging. Uh, I I guess you could call it demeanor identity on the offensive line that has not been there in terms of that alpha assertiveness Uh, to me, there's a lot more of those guys you can point to on the defensive side of the football right now, the young emerging players there, but to hear it on the offensive side of the football, Especially when I'll say this, Sean Clifford is going to leave a void in, in, in at least in the t- terms of a guy who's going to, to step up and say something, and guy who's going to make things. If it's uncomfortable moment, he'll still have to step to say it. That's an area with Drew Aller we don't quite know yet, and that's he's going to have to grow in. So the more of those kind of personalities you have, and the way that it sounds like Sean's describing those those young running backs and what they can mean in the huddle, what they can mean on the sideline, that's great because you're starting to build in a support structure for your new young quarterback who immediately is going to have to be your new young leader in Drew Aller come spring 2023 when they get on that practice field.
1: Yeah, and I think w- when Sean Clifford was talking, I don't think he meant that necessarily about all different positions on offense. Mm-hmm. I think he meant it about running back in particular because, listen, it's great to have a, a, a dominant personality and a great leader like Pat Friermuth at tight end, and it's great to have a dom- – not necessarily a dominant personality, but I thought Jahan Dotson was a great leader too. Came yes. out after losses, wins, didn't care, was always stand a stand-up guy. But it's different to have it into somebody who might be getting the ball 20, 20, 25 times a game or with these two guys between them getting it 30 to 35 times per game. So I think that's a little bit uh, – it's a little bit different to have her co- coming from the running backs. And, I, you know, the other thing that I pointed to is that in each of the last two games, you had soul-crushing runs by either of these running backs – And against Maryland, it was Singleton carrying a defender into the end zone. And then against Rutgers, Catron has the long run, what was it, 53, 59 yards, whatever it was, and they get down to the eight-yard line and they hand him the ball, and as Daniel mentioned, he runs into a safety, and the – Tight end comes over, uh, the offensive lineman comes over, and it's a big mass that just goes the final five yards into the end zone, and Rutgers wanted no part of it. And those are the kind of plays where you're like, whoa. You know, these guys, they're – I think that's what Sean was getting at, is that – so you have the running back who's like that. You know, now all of a sudden – you know, you have Brenton Strange jumping in there. Or you have I forget who the the, the offensive lineman was, but you have an offense it was Drew Shelton I think. You know, a young offensive lineman. You have that okay. Now this we this as a team we're imposing our will. I'm getting in on this too and the whole mass went in for a touchdown. I thought that was his most impressive run in that game, not the not the 50 plus yarder.
0: That kind of bully ball is a few and far between with this offense. And I think that people have been clamoring for it and that's really become the identity. It's Sean Clifford, you know, kind of steering the rudder, uh, you know, turnover, free football lately, uh, you know, as, as they've had some success here in the big 10 play and, 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 and getting the ball to, into the hands of playmakers. And a lot of that is just hand the ball off and getting to these running backs and the offensive line. We saw a huge, I mean, this was a, a situation where it was the same group of guys, essentially the whole game. We don't see that ever. And it was a 55 to 10 win. I think it says a lot about James Franklin wanting to protect Drew Aller deep into this game. And it certainly says a lot about them wanting to juggle some injury issues, which we already know about. Caden Wallace didn't play again. Olufashin, who didn't travel, um, and wanting to preserve some red shirts. And they've got themselves in a spot now. Vega Ioana didn't play against Rutgers, nor did J.B. Nelson. They can pick and choose when those guys uh, play. I mean, Vega Ioana... He can go two for two the rest of the way now, and he's still got redshirt status. So I'm not sure how they were able to do it. I know it was very dicey. They didn't even turn to some of the walk-ons in this case as Drew Aller was getting 30 snaps over the course of this game. They kept their starters in during a you know a, a blowout victory on the road for a reason, but they survived it. And I gotta give them a tip of the cap here. They, they didn't just survive, they thrived. They had some 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 moments of of doubt creeping in early in this matchup on the offensive front that we didn't see against Maryland, that we didn't see against Indiana. And you thought, all right, is this story kind of going to go off the rails? They righted that ship. They were able to get through it with the same five guys. Jimmy Chris got involved late at right tackle. But they come out of this game, uh, as far as we understand it, intact from a health standpoint on the offensive front. And in a really good spot to do some things personnel wise in this final matchup and then with a month to work with on a bowl schedule. Of course, Drew Shelton, say goodbye to that red shirt. And as James Franklin said, Daniel, a worthwhile burn uh, for the offensive tackle.
2: Definitely, I, I think that you know we were all watching uh, you know for that first snap who was going to run out there um, at left tackle. and it was indeed Drew Shelton. Um, you know, he had some struggles uh, with Aaron Lewis, the the Rutgers defensive lineman who uh, seemed to be able to get some pressure early on, be around the ball uh, a lot. But I think that James Franklin framing it as a, a worthwhile burned redshirt. I think that that kind of emphasizes how they how they've come to view Drew Shelton um, and his development and what he's capable of doing. You know, there are certain times where uh, a redshirt gets burned and it's just a, a matter of, of circumstance where. You know, there's too many injuries, a couple things happen and you kind of have to do it. Um, I think that Drew Shelton's playing kind of started out maybe like that, like it's the circumstances. But I think that it's he has earned it basically that, that he's earned his spot to, to go out there and start. Um, I mean, if they didn't, if it wasn't worthwhile to burn his red shirt, <laughs> I don't think they'd be starting him right now. So I think it's a big testament to him. Uh, it definitely bodes well, I think, for for the future of this line and, um, you know, just Drew Shelton's individual uh, ability.
0: We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Mark, when you sat down in early August and started jotting down some of those early feedback notes from conversations about where Penn State was progressing in the preseason, one thing you noted was they felt like Drew Shelton could put himself in a position where they could use him like this if they needed to. They didn't once have to do it this way, but there he was. They used him and it worked out well for them. The other thing you talked about early on was Manny Diaz's potential impact in forcing turnovers, creating plays. We saw two defensive touchdowns on a day where there were three non-offensive touchdowns the first time this century that has happened for Penn State. Three consecutive games now, taking care of inferior opponents like you'd hope, under 200 total yards for this Penn State defense. All three phases getting it done and they're using a ton of guys along the way. What can you say about what Manny Diaz has done, especially coming out of that Ohio State matchup where his group you'd understand if the win was out of their sails after that fourth quarter?
1: Yeah, I mean, the buy-in to his philosophy of creating turnovers has just been tremendous. And, you know, we get, what, a 15-minute, if that, window into, uh, into practice every week. And I, I can tell you that in that 15 minutes, they are always working on creating turnovers. So I could only imagine how that projects out over the rest of the week. And they they work on it in the most in some of the most bizarre ways. I mean, one, one week they were throwing the ball off the wall, yep. just so it would take bizarre bounces and, and having guys catch it. And last week they were doing a thing where one linebacker would tip the ball and the other was behind trying to catch it. And it was to the point where Tyler Elston kept kept messing it up. And Franklin finally said, Elston, can you not tip the ball? Can't you look what, what's going on? And Charlie Catcher stepped up and did it once. But it, it's, you know, my point being, this isn't just a lip service you know they they work on falling on the ball they they work on tipping it like all these different things Mark, what,
0: my favorite my favorite is the fumble recovery drill where Diaz has three balls placed out yells out a math equation and the guys have to do the math in their head from the point of the snap to when they pick up the football because that number that results from the equation is one of those three footballs and they got to do that on the fly and we've been seeing these things since August yeah and you wonder how this is going to add up and hey, the numbers are speaking for themselves.
1: And I was comp- – first of all, I was completely confused by that. I mean, because, you know, being a journalist, <laughs> numbers are not what we do. But then you get to the game and you see Kobe King like nothing, just picking up that ball and and, and scoring, and, and and there it is. And then you see uh, Tig, Jair Brown. You know, I love the way he he picked the thing up and was carrying it like a loaf of bread. Does anybody actually carry a loaf of bread like that, by the way? But it just, it seems like a natural thing when they're doing it, right? It doesn't seem, there's like no panic. And I think that goes back, back to all those goofy, and I mean goofy in a good way, things that that we're seeing at practice all the time. So yeah, the, the buy-in has been great. And I think Manny Diaz deserves all the praise that he's getting.
0: Man, Manny Diaz has himself under consideration for some awards. He has certainly, you, there's a lot of things you can do in college football coaching when you get fired from a high-profile job. One of them is Netflix and chill for a year if you choose to do that one of which is to, to reinvest in yourself. And Diaz t- told us way back in what was it, January, that he wanted to get back to, to falling in love with a linebacker room, to falling in love with the defense, to being with those guys on a daily basis. And he's had a smile on his face just about every time we've seen him on the football field. And there's a f- great reason at this point with what he's doing with a deep arsenal on the defensive side of the football. Um, let's talk about the, the linebackers really quick because when they have Abdul Carter and Curtis Jacobs on the field together – something that, unfortunately, we haven't seen a lot of of late, but we got to see it a lot against Rutgers. That's something special. There's something clicking there. Kobe King is coming along, still Tyler Ells in the show, and I think we saw that reflected in, in the snap distribution against Rutgers. But regardless of what else is happening at linebacker, and Curtis Jacobs is going to have a choice to make here as the year three guy, those two guys are in place for you, and they're centerpiece for your defense, Daniel. There is a lot of explosiveness you can work off of.
2: It's two of your best playmakers that you have at that second level. I mean, it's almost like we're running out of things to say about Abdul Carter. Um, you know, it's you know game after game. It, it's kind of like, what can you say about him, how he's come along? Um, and, you know, thankfully, James Franklin keeps giving us I think answers. the TV broadcast <laughs>
0: called him a future multi-All-American, multi-All-American. I mean, they were running out of things to say on the broadcast,
2: too. So they were going <laughs> all in. Uh, but well, when you have Carter and, and Jacobs there, I mean, Jacobs is a former five star talent, uh, a very well regarded recruit. Um, you have guys that can do a lot of different things. Um, I think that Curtis Jacobs has shown that he really has a, a good ability to play in space in that Sam position. Um, and then when you look at what Abdul Carter has done at that will position, you know, there's still if you you know if you're watching him play after play, there, there's times when he's back in coverage um, where he, he looks a little bit like a freshman um, I think the one play that stands out is that you know, it was a long time ago at this point. But in that Northwestern game, um, he got caught out there in the secondary on on a long play. Um, but when both of those guys are going uh, vertical, it is really, really impressive. I mean, Curtis Jacob sack of Gavin Wimsat was, I think, one of the fastest uh, sacks that, that I've seen in person. Like he was there immediately um, and, you know, Rutgers just didn't have an answer. And then you talk about all the times that you see Abdul Carter closing on a quarterback who is you know, just kind of leisurely, you know, running it out, you know, looking downfield and then looks over and Abdul Carter's bearing down. So he's got to throw it away. Um, I think that seeing Manny Diaz be really aggressive and be really aggressive specifically with these two players, I think has really changed the complexion a little bit um, of this defense, because, you know, if you recall, like, Last year, when there were more than four defensive backs on the field, that normally meant Curtis Jacobs wasn't on the field. Um, this year, you've got Carter and Jacobs, um, you know, lined up in that prowler package uh, behind the three defensive linemen, and I just think that Manny Diaz has, you know, been able to adjust and he's been able to be creative to get all of these guys onto the field and just be able to utilize their playmaking ability. And I think that that's the the biggest testament to to him as a coach this year. You know, I think he's done a great job with the mindset. Um, you know, I think we talked about it a lot where, you know, last year, the defense always seemed to be giving the offense a chance. Um, like the defense wasn't really the issue last year, but this year's defense and that Michigan game, you know, they score a touchdown uh, when the offense wasn't doing anything uh, against Rutgers. You know, you get two touchdowns when the offense w- w- was shaky early. And I think that's kind of the next step. Um, for this defense, for the program even. And I think a lot of that goes back to Manny Diaz, to adjusting, to getting guys like Carter and Jacobs on the field together in spots where they can just make things happen.
0: No Joey Porter on the field again. We'll stay tuned on, on an update for him, recovering from appendicitis. He's missed the last couple of matchups. Last note on, on Abdul Carter here, second on the team in tackles for a loss with seven and a half, leads the team in sacks at this point. Uh, he also is second on the team with five quarterback hurries, uh, making his All-American kind of candidacy, candidacy in the freshman category, like those running backs, and a lot of firepower in this freshman class, as we said, 10 burn red shirts. Uh, Going to dive into recruiting in just a second, but, fellas, before we let you go, you've done fantastic work with the basketball coverage through six games. The team is 5-1. Uh, Mark, they come out of that Charleston Classic uh, with a 2-1 and one record in that tournament, finished third. Uh, what do you learn about the team from that experience uh, before we get into recruiting here with T.C.?
1: Yeah, I learned it has some fight in it. I mean, fell behind kind of big against Virginia Tech and and scrapped its way back, and and I thought that that bodes really well for them, even though they weren't able to pull out that win. You know, and I just think the level of competition at that tournament, okay, you know, it's not the Maui Classic. It's not one of the elite tournaments, but they played enough good opponents in that, you know, you look at the Ken Palm rankings now. The net rankings obviously aren't out yet, but if you look at where those teams are ranked in, in Ken Palm, you know, there are a bunch of representative teams. They played all decent teams, if not better than that. I mean, Virginia Tech is a, is a top 30 team. Uh, so, so you play those games and come out of it with two wins and a loss, show some resiliency. In the final game, I wasn't able to watch it. We were taping a TV show. But to listen to it going down and then on the way back from doing a TV show, getting some of the other freshman players beho- be- besides Kevin in there and getting them some some quality minutes – I think that helps them build depth. And just to go through that that playing three games in four days and being generally successful, I think, is, is, a, is a net positive for this team looking ahead.
0: Daniel, you followed the game Sunday, which they did win over Colorado State. Uh, your overarching, I guess, uh, takeaway from that, that
2: three-game swing? I thought that they closed it on a really good note. Uh, In the Furman game to open things, you had the big first half, then things got a little bit dicey in the second half. In that Virginia Tech game, you fall behind early, you work your way back and have a chance to win at the end. Uh, But against Colorado State, you go up 13 to nothing early. And I think Colorado State only got within nine, or maybe it was six uh, in the first half and nine in the second half. The fact that they were able to keep them at arm's length um, after having kind of a, a roller coaster uh, first few games of the tournament, even going back to last Monday against Butler, that was another game where they got up early and then kind of had to sweat it out uh, down the stretch. So I think to see that kind of complete performance, getting guys like Evan Mahaffey and Kanye Clary meaningful minutes uh, to the freshman, I think was big. Um, but I think overall, just kind of being able to uh, just win a game, com- not necessarily comfortably, but just to maintain a lead. Do what you need to do, you know, never let it get dicey. I think that's kind of the the next step, um, on top of that being their fourth game in seven days.
1: Yeah, like one West. quick thing, Tyler, they moved up to 31 in Ken Palm. So you go two and one, and I and I guess what when, when I was talking about the level of competition that you were playing, that speaks to that. Because if you go two and you could have gone three and oh against completely terrible competition, and you're probably gonna go down. So to actually climb, I think, six or eight or however many po- however many places it was in Ken Palm. And again, Ken Palm's not the, the be-all, end-all, but until the net rankings come out, it's a very good way to, to rank where teams really are.
0: The basketball team is five and one. The football team is nine and two. You can follow coverage of both at lines 247com Mark, Daniel, appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. We got a James Franklin press conference to get to, some practice to get to this week. Uh, interesting game week with Thanksgiving, but it is our final one of this Big Ten season. Talk to you guys soon. Yep. Thanks, Tyler. All right. Uh, let's get into it right now with recruiting, and that means it's time to get into it with Tyler Calvaruzzo. Appreciate those guys. And uh, Tyler, we, we wanted to get to you on this Monday because there is some uh, news to get to uh, coming out of Sunday evening in the 2023 recruiting cycle, which is certainly down to that final stretch now, the early signing period just a few weeks away. February signing day still looms as well. Uh, but down a commitment in this class, it's one that we've been – internally forecasting for some time at lions247.com um, and, and goes to public uh, here on a Sunday evening into a Monday morning as people react.
3: Yeah, never never a dull moment on the recruiting trail, right? So, yeah, Penn State is now without a Johnny Shakir in its 2023 recruiting class, the four-star wideout back his commitment to the Ninny Lions late Sunday night. So he's back on the market searching for a new home. And as you just alluded to, th- this really doesn't come as – Much of a surprise, you know. At the end of the day, business is business. Shakir searching for a new home. Penn State's continuing pursuit of talent at the wide receiver position in the twenty twenty three class. So there's a lot of movement at this time of year. In Penn State's case, it happened with Shakir on Sunday night.
0: Now the anticipation with Shakir just to kind of clarify that business is business thing is that now he's not going to be diving right into another Power Five commitment.
3: Yeah, that's that's how it projects right now. Yes.
0: Uh, So moving forward for Penn State, uh, and they've got some holes to fill here, and and they're going to be looking for upgrades at wide receiver. They've got a a, a group here um, that has five freshmen at least in it now with with Christian Driver moving from cornerback. Only one of those guys has burned redshirt. So it's going to be a very young receiver room in a lot of ways in 2023. Everyone, of course, now wants to know, well, who's going to join them in that group? And, and, And who are the names that at least you think need to be listed on this Monday coming out of this development?
3: Yeah, it's an interesting conversation to have at this point in the cycle, given where Penn State's 2023 uh, wide receiver board really is. So the name that we've talked about plenty throughout this cycle is Edwin Joseph from Shaman Madonna down in Florida. He took his official visit in September. All went well there. He's since been to Auburn, South Carolina, and Louisville for officials. But Penn State is still pretty high in his list. Joseph is a guy, you know, he he has fans on the staff for sure. Miami's still in the picture there, but Penn State's in a pretty good spot. He likes the Nittany Lions. We're going to have to see what transpires there in the coming weeks. Zion Fowler is a name to know. He's one we haven't really talked about a lot. He had been committed to Pittsburgh since the summer, decided to back off his commitment to the Panthers, and he's been receiving a lot of new Power 5 interest since hitting the market, Penn State included. He's from St. Peter's Prep in New Jersey, so you're going to have to see how that one goes. But Penn State's kicking the tires there. We're going to see how deep they decide to dip their toe into that pool. So, he's a name to know, a new name to know moving forward. And then, kind of just to rehash some names from the past, you know, Carmelo English is a guy we've talked about a little bit. I don't think Penn State's going to be his landing spot as things are right now. Mike Amade is the Wake Forest commit from Florida, four star has really helped himself with a really good senior year. He's looking like an elite prospect at this point. I'm not sure he really circles back to Penn State. Remember, he had the chance to visit for Lash Bash in late July. That trip wound up, wound up not happening. He lands in Wake Forest class. If he's going to move off the Demon Deacons, it seems like it's more likely that that's for a Southern program or even Florida State and the ACC. So there's a lot of movement right now. I know there's a lot of evaluating going on. It's never too late to find talent. You know, early signing period is creeping up, but still of time for Stubbs and the staff to get after it. And if I'm a Penn State fan right now, what I'm keeping an eye on is more than anything else, probably the transfer portal. You know, this is, it's looking like this is going to be a year where a lot of, lot of good wide receiver talent hits the portal. And I'd expect Penn State to be active there. Because the fact of the matter is there is a lot for James Franklin and this staff to sell to receivers who hit the portal. You got a good young quarterback in Drew Allerado to step in. He's your foundation. You got a good running back room with Nick Singleton and Katron Allen leading the way. So there are pieces on the offense already. You're not stepping into a unit that is trying to find its identity. You're not stepping into a group that is, you know, trying to turn a new page after a rough season. That's not the case. Any receiver that comes to Penn State is going to have a chance to step in and contribute in an offense. It looks like it's going to be pretty, pretty good next season. So I'd expect the Nittany Lions to, you know, do some searching in the portal, find the right fit, and I think that's where the staff is going to be active. If I'm a Penn State fan, that's what that's the activity I'm keeping a really close eye on right now as the portal start season starts to heat up.
0: Especially in terms of an instant impact, you look at Carm- yeah. Carmelo Taylor, who's on board. It's a four-star guy, he's a new addition to the top twenty-four-seven rankings. Um, you know, he, but he's a, an ascending prospect. We talked about that, As exactly. a track guy who's really figuring out himself on the football field. It certainly smells a, a, like a whole lot of red shirt to me. Looking at what happens when you look at who's going to come in, make an impact. Again, you, you got to figure out what you have in this current freshman class, and someone's yeah. got to rise. A few guys got to step up. But I'm with you. The the transfer portal, the one thing that they can't sell, that they could sell in the last couple of years, uh, especially this past offseason, is replace these monster numbers or help us replace these monster numbers. No one put up those kind of gaudy statistics that they got at Jahan Dotson. They're not going to be able to sell that, but they can certainly sell. We clearly have some shoes to fill. We have some missing pieces here. You can be that guy. And Mitchell Tinsley he hasn't duplicated. No one expected him to do what, what he did at Western Kentucky in the most prolific passing attack of the 2021 college football season. But he's been reliable. I think he's at 50-plus receiving yards in six of eight Big Ten games this year. And you think about if you remove him from the equation and you ha- had to rely on just homegrown talent this year at receiver, where would you be offensively? I don't think they're going to go that route again. I think they're going to look to find another. might not be a Mitchell Tinsley, someone coming up from a different level. It might be someone that they have already previously recruited as a blue-chip roster who has spent some time on a Power 5 campus. Tinsley's a great story making that jump up from the FBS, but I think Penn State would certainly love to pluck someone who already has that Power 5 experience, has already proven what they can do in a conference like the Big Ten. Um, And receiver's a spot where if you put yourself in that transfer portal and you play that free agency game, you can elevate your stock in a big way if you find the right program and the right quarterback compared to what you might be leaving. Um, let's look really quickly at the 2023 class because there was an interesting international visitor that just came through. It's the time of year. Whenever we hear about 2023 guys stopping by, you got to note it. And certainly when he makes a trip overseas and it's part of that plan, can you dive into this one for us?
3: Yeah, if he's listening and he listens to me pronounce his name, I'm sorry in advance, Faraj Pina. From Germany, defensive lineman, came over for an unofficial on Sunday and really got a great idea of how Penn State kind of does things on a daily basis. That was his biggest takeaway from the trip. He got to sit in on meetings. He got a good look at practice, got a tour of the facilities. But at the end of the day, when he left Happy Valley, he was really impressed with the way Penn State, they prepare, and the way they kind of break things down. Because he had kind of a unique insight in the sense that he got on campus the day after a game. So we saw a little bit of a less intense practice, obviously, you know, the day after a game, you're not really getting after it that hard. But he took in their meetings and the way they broke down some of that Rutgers tape and, you know, the way they use data to kind of build for the next week and progress and just get ready for their next opponent. That was something that really stood out to him. And he's part of the PPI program that does a really good job with international recruits. And Penn State has dipped into that pool before. So th- there's a lot to like here, I would say, you know, some of our guys at 24 7 I've seen him in person. Cooper Patagno went overseas to see him and he really liked what he saw. So I think this is a name to know for sure. No offer right now. And you know, it re- remains to be seen if that'll come to fruition, but they got him on campus and he liked what he saw. So.
0: Um, what are your thoughts here? Just before we let you go. And it's a short segment, but we <laughs> wanted to get you on to, to handle some breaking news um, just generally four weeks away What are you tightly observing? What do you engage with the most on the message boards right now when it comes to this 2023 class?
3: I think really we're just kind of zoning in on the little bit, you know, not nitpicking where Penn State needs to add, but really zoned in on what positions they're targeting right now to add before the early signing period arrives. You know, we got running back. Cam Wallace made his way to campus for that official. We've touched on that plenty. It looks like there's going to be another running back in this class. Is that going to be Wallace? We'll see. There are a lot of guys on the board who are still out there, and Penn State is going after Receiver now is something we're keeping an eye on and something we're really going to be updating on a daily basis at this point because you're looking for a new guy, and that's been the case for a while. Defensive line recruiting, recruiting the secondary, just really there's a lot going on in all all three stages defensively. So, hey, we got a lot going on for the end of the cycle, man. It's, It's going to be a really fun time just to keep track of everything that's going on with this program because there's a lot of activity and there's still plenty of spots to fill. And then once portal season starts real, real soon, we're going to be getting after it with that too. Well, folks, we'll be hearing from
0: you more often on this podcast as we start to adjust out of our regular season format into that pre-signing day and a full-on mayhem when it comes to roster coverage that we got in the next month or so here on the podcast. But every single day, you're at lions247.com, our VIP subscribers, enjoying that intel you provided, uh from the recruiting trail, basketball, and, of course, football. Uh, Tyler, we appreciate it. A little bit of news to handle here. Uh, you never know when it's going to pop up. So we appreciate it, man. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon, man. All right, big thanks to my Lions twenty four seven colleagues and Daniel, Mark, and Tyler Calvaruso today getting it done on a Monday. Uh, Thanksgiving structure here, how it's going to work with this week. We're back with another episode before the holiday. We're going to pack a lot into it. Uh, tell you what we heard coming out of James Franklin's press conference. Give you our preview for this matchup against Michigan State, and bring in on a Spartans beat reporter to break down the opposing perspective here. And then we're back on Saturday with a post game podcast from game number twelve. So that's just a look ahead here. Hopefully, you all are putting together nice holiday plans for yourselves and with your families. We'll talk to you real soon on the next episode. This has been the Lions 24-7 Podcast. I'm Tyler Downey. Thanks, as always, for listening.